Welcome to Apparently, the podcast for absolutely average parents. I'm Ann Johnsos. And I'm Tracy Weiner. Parenting is hard. There's no manual that goes along with that new baby. And it doesn't get any easier when they get older. Yeah. Most days, I feel like I'm flying blind. (laughs) Most days, I feel like I'm building the plane while I fly it. (laughs) So that's where this podcast comes in. Think of us as your coffee clutch, your wine buddies, your trust tree. We talk about kids, families, our significant others. Remember when you were my significant other, Ann? Wait, I'm not anymore? And remember, we're just average, not experts. We find the experts to help us through the real head scratchers. Well, we did do that episode on lice, remember, Ann? Ugh, now I need to take a shower. So circle up and welcome to Apparently. So apparently we found another conversation that needs to happen. Not the birds and the bees, vaping, drugs, or porn. We've done all that. But rather financial planning. Yeah, this is a topic we haven't really covered in any of our seasons. Uh, We've talked about allowance, the price you pay for college, stuff like that, but not the very basic questions of finance and families or couples. Tracy and I try to keep our private lives fairly separate from this podcast, um, but our private lives definitely influence the topics that interest us. And this particular episode is quite personal to us. Yeah, so last month, my brother-in-law, Jimmy, passed away very unexpectedly. He was 55. Sorry, guys. He was 55. He was our family's captain. My sister and her husband were like kind of drove the family bus, if you will. I may have been the oldest sister, but really Sarah and Jimmy were the ones we always looked to lead our family on all decisions or vacations or you name it, anything, we we look to them to lead us. They even met at Anne's wedding. Yeah. Um, for more than 24 years, uh, Jimmer was my husband's best friend. And of course, um, your sister and I became really good friends when you moved to Denver. So uh, we were yep. a little bit like a little family. And you know, they were in the city when they started their family. So we kind of raised our kids together so much so that they thought they were cousins. Um, even though your kids are their cousins, <laughs> my kids um, thought that they were all cousins. Exactly. So in our tight-knit family, Jimmy's death came very suddenly, and it frankly feels like a gut punch in so many ways. As a family, not only are we mourning the loss of a husband, a father, a brother, a son, a friend, but now my sister's working through a lot of things, financial things, the things that really you never think will ever happen to you, and then they do. And like most things that happen in our lives, there are these light bulb moments. So moments when you're at a loss for words and you think, wait, this could happen to me. Um, this was and continues to be one of those moments. Yeah, same same over here, Ann. You know, there's so much anticipation and, and fixation on a wedding, a honeymoon, you know, buying a house together, having kids that d- we don't often plan for the worst or when life throws you curveballs, like what happened to my family. In the beginning, there's the happy moments and good times, and you're excited to build on your future, even start a podcast with one of your besties. Yeah, that's that's a good thing, Trace, a podcast. Um, so speaking of the podcast, we usually try to have a news hook for our episodes. And I recently saw a report that said less than a third of Americans are financially healthy. That's according to the Financial Health Pulse 2022 U.S. Trends Report. More than half reported they were financially coping, and 15% described themselves as financially vulnerable. 
It's bleak, bleak news. Well, that's yeah. why we are forever grateful to have Terry Savage on with us. She's a nationally recognized expert on personal finance and writes a weekly syndicated column. She's written four best-selling books, her latest being The Savage Truth on Money. She's featured on WGN Radio uh, with John Williams on the new launch, and I'm a a big fan. I listen every week and she's just fantastic. And the first person I reached out to after what happened with Jimmy um, to navigate this discussion of love and marriage and finance. So thanks for being with us, Terry. Oh, delighted to join both of you. I'm fans of yours likewise. And, um, and this is a really, I hadn't heard you tell the full story. I didn't realize a, how close you were. I knew how sudden and unexpected this passing was and it's just a message to all of us. I'm pretty superstitious about things like that. A little late for me to tell you that now, but that I feel that if you're planned and organized and you have everything, all your ducks in a row, so to speak, I'm superstitious. I believe that maybe that wards off the untimely event. Um, maybe you don't agree with that superstition, but if you can't get your spouse to do the planning, you can pass that on because that will work on their minds. It's something we all have to talk about. What if? And, and men, I think men particularly, don't like to think about that. I mean, we're, you know, we're strong, we're macho, we're everything, but it could happen to anyone at any time, either an untimely passing or kind of an illness that leaves you debilitated or an accident. It doesn't have to mean that you're weak. It could be just an accident. But whatever happens, I think you feel better, and I hope your lesson is to everybody else listening, that there are some things you can do to get organized and plan in advance. So if the unexpected happens, it isn't redoubly painful because you're you're at at wit's end about what to do first and how to get organized. So Terry, I want to um, go to those things right away. Um, when you start out, you move in together, you're starting a life together. Is there a right or wrong way to handle money as a couple? You know, should you have a joint checking account, separate checking accounts? <laughs> That's a big topic. There is no one way. I wrote a book, with, uh, another book with uh, a famous divorce attorney, Jim Allen, and divorce court judge, Michelle Lawrence. And I wrote a book called The New Love Deal, Everything You Must Know Before Marrying, Moving In, or Moving On. The New Love Deal. It's on Amazon now. It's a couple of years old, but it only, it, it talks about getting your life organized. There's no one right way. But if you're going to be married or living together even, um, you have to set up systems and you have to let each other know where everything is just in case of an emergency like this. If you go to my website, terrysavage.com, and let me say this up front. I sell nothing. I endorse nothing for a fee. Um, I don't have sell ad space on my website at terrysavage.com, T-E-R-R-Y-S-A-V-A-G-E.com. What I do there, post my column. I answer questions on my Ask Terry blog. Sometimes I stay up very late at night doing that. Um, I have links to interesting articles and so forth, but there's no commercial part of it. And I have posted on there in the top right-hand corner, there are four boxes. And one of them, if you click on it, it says Personal Financial Organizer. I urge you to, you can fill it out online. I don't see that. Print it out filled in. Or you can print it out in blank. And that should be your guidepost to getting your life organized. Fill it out yourself with your spouse. 
and then print out some blank copies, maybe at Thanksgiving, you know, before everybody is, you know, in a, in a daze on the couch after the turkey. Fill it out at Thanksgiving and say, here's a present for all of you. I want you to fill this out. You don't have to show it to me. You're my brother-in-law and sister-in-law or my adult, you know, children or parents. But by Christmas, I want to ask you, have you done this? Have you gotten organized? It will ask you everything from your social security number and things like where, what are your credit card accounts and the account numbers and what are the passwords for your banking and so forth accounts so that if in an emergency someone needed to get access to your stuff, they could do that. And I think that's the first step of knowing what you have to be thinking about. So terrysavage.com, top right-hand corner, a box called Personal Financial Organizer. Print out as many copies as you want. Fill them out. And you don't put this in your safe deposit box, by the way. One of the questions on it is, do you have a safe deposit box and where's the key? So you don't want to, you want to leave it where someone uh, you trust could find it. You'll tell your spouse or your adult child, I've left this. Mine, I shouldn't tell you this, but it's in my black lingerie drawer because nobody ever goes in there anymore. <laughs> I'm sure you've heard this before, Terry, but like in my house, you know, there's been a lot of reflection over the last month, but in my house, my husband pays the bills. And if, if he were to pass away, I'm really completely out of the loop with bill management. I obviously know there's a gas bill and, uh, you know, the electric bill and so on, but, um, with some of the, a lot of the bills are paperless too. So knowing each other's passwords, you mentioned that earlier as is, is really important because I don't. I don't have that stuff. I'm, not, I'm probably embarrassing myself right now, but I don't. We just, like, I navigate this area and he navigates this area of the family. And so that was definitely a, uh, what did Ann call it earlier, a light bulb moment for us here. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, look, I hate to hear that. I mean, it's great if he wants to take care of the cars and you want to take care of the cooking or vice versa. It's great to specialize in what you do best. But your financial life impacts both of you. If you have a house and it's owned jointly, if you have obligations there, and one of you were just to, you know, just fall off the face of the earth tomorrow, it's not fair. It's not smart. And it's so easy to get reorganized. It, I, I think you should, if you're, my goal, I think if you're married is that you have one joint checking account for all the household expenses. And whether you each make the same amount or a different amount and contribute either proportionate to your incomes or however you decide, that's the one account that you should have access to, both of you, and understand what's being paid. I'm all for online bill payment. You can track that. You could have Quicken and download everything into Quicken and both have access to that. Sure, you want to have maybe your own account on the side and you have your own retirement account at work on the side. But you're going to list all those on this organizer form because if something happens to you, your partner uh, has to know about that. But in terms of everyday activities, one can pay the bills or you can set up auto pay. But you should both know what's coming in and what's going out and where you stand on that everyday joint spending account. Yeah, we do have a joint account and then we both have our own. So it, it is modeled sort of like what you do, but in uh, what you were discussing. But basically, again, he's he kind of takes the lead on that and I... I go and buy this. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm managing the family. You, no, 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 you can't default to that. That's, that's so, so, so 1970s. I know. You really have to go in tonight. So you bank online, right? Yeah. Okay. You know the password? Is it, it's like a 
Chase or Bank of America or someplace like that, Northern? Yep. You know where it is? Yep. Do you know how to sign into that account? I do. I can. Yes. Okay. Do it tonight. Just scroll back. You'll see what was paid. You'll see what was paid by check because they put the check numbers on there. If you wrote paper checks, they'll see what they was paid by automatic debit. If your ComEd bill is automatically debited every month, go take a look. Look, take a look. Okay. So Terry, for, for people just starting out as couples, you know, you mentioned the book that you wrote, but so it sounds like you're saying joint account, but separate accounts. What about in terms of, you know, we got married a little late. So I had a 401k, I have, you know, TIAA, I have Fidelity, I have whatever. What about merging all those or, you know, keeping track of that? You know, how should we handle that? Well, you can't, first of all, if it's your retirement account, it's yours. I mean, you might want to give your spouse the password. The point being that your 401k or your IRA is your individual retirement account. You have to be responsible for your own money. You have to be responsible for your joint goals. And then there's a whole lot more than just the cash flow aspect or your individual investment aspects. Most couples don't invest jointly because one has a higher risk tolerance than the other. That's a, why would you cause a fight? Over that, keep your IRA, it's your own individual retirement account or 401k separate, track your cash flow, and then realize that there are bigger things you have to discuss. There are things like your family goals. What are we really trying to do here? Are we saving for college? Are we trying to pay off the mortgage before we retire? Are we um, saving for a vacation that we want to take? Those are the kinds of money discussions that you really can impact by changing how you handle money. And then the final step, which is really the first step is, how are we organized? How are we set up? And the giant what if, what if you fell off the planet tomorrow? What should we be doing to make sure that the survivor, number one, has enough financial resources to continue? So that might mean life insurance. And also access to all the records. And what do you want done if it's you don't just fall off the earth, but you are there and you're incapable of making decisions? So things like a will or better yet, a revocable living trust are really critical. A healthcare power of attorney. And the document, I call it the pull the plug document, a living will. Don't intubate me or don't keep me intubated if there's no chance of my recovery, that kind of thing. You see that in the newspapers all the time. Those are documents that you don't do yourself. You need an estate planning attorney. And this is, you know, if you do this yourself with some internet form, by the time they figure out you made a mistake, you won't be around to correct it. So these are bigger issues than who pays what bill, even though you should both be knowing that. And how your 401k is invested, that's important too. But if you're talking about what happened to your family, I think this whole period of running around going, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, would have been made a lot easier if they'd filled out the organizer form and then gone to an attorney. And I'll tell you, if you want to talk about that, what you really need, but gotten this all organized in advance. Actually, Terry, I'm going to, I'm going to jump in on that because we used legal zoom uh so therefore oh, no okay. <laughs> all right so so terry what do we need to do what what do we have to have in order when we contact this attorney okay well uh, let's see where shall i start here first of all i think i i want to start with the fact that you can find an attorney 
uh, by checking the Bar Association online. Um, if you're a little bit older, there's a website called NALA, N-A-E-L-A dot org. That's a National Association of Elder Law Attorneys. This might be what you'd want to do for your parents, NALA, N-A-E-L-A dot org. Uh, these, I'll tell you in a minute where you can find all these resources on my site. Um, but these are estate planning attorneys. The first thing you have to know is a lot of people say, I don't need a will. Our house is in joint name. That's true. Your spouse will get it. And I named my spouse the beneficiary on my retirement plan. But some kind of a document is necessary, number one, if you're incapacitated, i.e. in a coma, regarding your health care and your end-of-life instructions. A will doesn't come into effect until you die. And if you put instructions for your children's care in your will, if you put instructions about who gets what in your will, you'll need a lawyer to take it through probate which is why they offer to keep a copy. You know, they give you a glass of champagne when you sign your will, and then they say, we'll keep a copy here in our vault, so they don't charge you rent for that space. It's because they're going to charge fees when you die, and it takes time, months and months. A better solution is a revocable living trust. A revocable living trust sounds like a big word. It has nothing to do with protecting you from taxes, nothing to do with protecting you from lawsuits. It's a trust you create while you're alive, and you set it up in your own name. The John and Mary Smith Revocable Living Trust. In my case, it's the Terry Savage Revocable Living Trust. And then you retitle your important assets into the trust. Your house, not your retirement plans. They have beneficiaries. But any brokerage accounts or your family home or your vacation home, I'll get in the name of the trust. And what that trust says is, I have a co-trustee. John and Mary are co-trustees. If I can't act, Mary's automatically empowered. And when I die, Mary distributes everything. It looks like a will inside of it. The way I said to the people we discussed. But it means you don't need a lawyer and you don't need the probate fees and you don't need the time delay. So a will is okay. A revocable living trust is better. They cost about the same. You could still buy and sell if your house is in that name. That doesn't change your cost basis. If you sell the tax, it uses your social security number. So you get, you pay your taxes on anything you buy or sell it again, uh, right out of the revocable living trust. But it's just another way of protecting your assets in case you're incapacitated. Or it does the same thing as a will after your death. And you won't put your daily checking account in it. So when you make your revocable living trust, you'll also have something called a little pour over will that says, yeah, anything I didn't name in the trust will be distributed into the trust. My work checking account, my car title isn't in the name of my trust. But in the trust, you put things like, you know, I want my dog to go to my sister. Suppose you're alone and you have no reason whatsoever to have a will. You just make someone a beneficiary of your of your retirement account. Don't you want to give instructions about your dog? That can go in your revocable living trust. You know, Terry, I don't feel that unique in this situation because I was reading a 2019 survey like caring.com or something like that that said 57% of U.S. adults do not currently have estate planning documents as a will or living trust and only one in five millennials have an estate plan in place. So like, again, going back to the very beginning of our discussion, like we all have lived very great, happy lives. There's, there was no re, like, there was no reason to think the, blank was going to hit the fan and then it does and then you're left 
gobsmacked basically because you you're you didn't take the time to do it before and so that was the whole impetus for talking to you today and those are all words that i've now come to learn (laughs) a question back tracy so your sister now has to petition a court for everything because if you don't make either a will or as i say better yet a revocable living trust if you don't do that when a person dies intestate somebody appointed by the courts which you know how busy the courts are and you can't even go in there, is assigned to make distributions. If you die without a will and your account wasn't in joint name, you have to petition the court that you're the likely heir, you're the spouse. And we can we please take money out to pay for the funeral? If it was in joint name, okay, you have access to it. But the fact is, if you were had a house in joint name and someone was in a coma in a nursing home, you'd have to, if unless that house was in your revocable living trust, you'd have to petition the court my husband's incapacitated, had a stroke, can't speak. You'd need to make these plans or some stranger. What if both of you got, this is a horrible thought, you're in a car accident and your kids are at home. You left plenty of money in your life insurance, but now some stranger in the court is going to decide, well, we're not distributing money to go to Harvard. They can go to the University of Illinois. I mean, you have, you owe it to the people you love to make sure that not only you have the life insurance, you have the retirement account, you have the assets, but you've left easy instructions, legal instructions in the form of a revocable living trust or a will so that stuff goes to where you want it to be. Look, nobody pays estate taxes these days unless your estate is over $12 million. This is so so not about you saving you from estate taxes. I mean, a couple could, it's over $24 million. It's not about estate taxes. In Illinois, they will tax your estate, by the way, if it's over $4 million. And your estate includes your house, your retirement accounts. And if you own the life insurance, yes, it goes to your spouse or whatever, but it's still included. But even so, this is not about estate taxes. It's about making sure the people you love get the stuff you want them to get easily. Right. Uh, by the way, yeah, I want to say one more thing. If you're, if you're listening now and going, I give up. I can't understand. I'm, my head's swimming. If you go to terrysavage.com, I talked about the four right boxes on the top right with the personal financial organizer. Scroll down a little bit and it'll say financial links. And underneath that are four more boxes, things about how to buy savings bonds and so forth. There's a box called Terry Talks Wills and Estate Planning. It's a half hour kind of a podcast thing where I go over this step by step. So don't get fearful. Don't get overwhelmed by this. I even give you resources and websites where you can find an estate planning attorney. This is something you, if you love someone, do this. Terry, I have a, you mentioned life insurance. My husband does not believe in life insurance. For you? I mean, he doesn't want to get money when you die, but would you, would you like to get money if he died before you? Yes. You can take a life insurance policy out on him because you have what's called an insurable interest. I can't take a life insurance policy out on your husband because we have no relationship. But as a spouse, you could go apply for a life insurance policy for him. Oh, really? Yeah, he might have to take a physical or answer some questions. But this is not about him. This is about you. And the kids. And how much do you think, what's the rule of thumb for how much life insurance you should have? Oh, I have a very simple rule. I'm glad you asked. I said it on Oprah once years and years ago. It's called, how long could you live like this 
until you find another guy like that. (laughs) (laughs) Or until you don't want to find another guy like this. So, you know, part of that depends on, you know, you still have a big mortgage you want to pay off. College is going to cost a lot, et cetera. I mean, I don't know your backgrounds. But the point is, there's not like, well, if my income is this, this is the amount. I mean, it's life and term life insurance, 20-year term, is so cheap today, in a few hundred dollars per million, that assuming you're in good health and a non-smoker, the the, the insured person is in good health and a non-smoker, I don't know why you wouldn't go to term quote or accu quote or one of those places and buy a 20-year term. Now, you just have to think, where will I be 20 years from now? Well, the kids will be out of college. The mortgage will be paid off. My retirement account will have grown. We'll have built up some more savings. But yeah, if something happened tomorrow, gee, I, I, I hope, you know, your family has enough life insurance and it doesn't have to be a big deal. You could do that really basically online. So it's not like a multiplier of your salary or anything like that? Or is that how most employers, like when you can, you can do voluntary life insurance through a lot of companies offer that, don't they? Sure. And you might as well take it. But in addition to that, what you want is a hunk of money that will pay off your perceived obligations. So if you have seven-year-old or 10-year-old kids, you're going to need a lot more life insurance. I mean, how many years could you go without his salary in this case? Um, and still be able to have savings and so forth to pay for college and the mortgage. It's not a multiple of the salary in terms of the number of years. Okay, 20 years times the salary. But actually think about it. You want to have that cash available to be flexible to pay off uh, the obligations you have that cost so much. In talking uh, or prepping for our conversation today, um, one of the questions I saw online when I, you know, you go on a deep dive of estate planning and stuff. One of the questions I saw was if you had to prioritize between saving for your kid's college and or saving for your retirement, what 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 would you choose? And Ann and I both have 16 and 14 year olds. So we're looking down college. <laughs> we're looking at down in two years here. But for younger families, um, what what do you think about that? Uh, I think the answer, I always say the answer is both because time leverages money. If there's anybody here that's in their 20s, you have something that none of us can buy with all the money we have. You have time and time leverages money. And if you would put away, I did this in my first book 30 years ago, and now I can look back and say, sure, it did work. If you put away $2,000 a year, which is about $40 a week, every year for 30 years, in, in just the average returns of the stock market of about 10%, yeah, I know it's crashing this year, but last year it was up 17% or two years ago, the average return is about 10% with dividends reinvested. So if you put away that money, for 50 years, you have two and a half million dollars. Well, from your 21 to 71, sounds like forever away, but oh my gosh, it happens. So if you're young, of course you want to save for your own retirement. And the, if, as long as you do it regularly and, and, and keep it up even when the market's scary, you'll be fine. College is something you start with a 529 college savings plan. I assume most of the people listening are fans from Illinois. We have brightstart.com. And you can do the um, Bright Start Savings where you put money in and all the grandparents put money in for birthdays and holidays. And the time to start is when the child's an infant. But I, I don't envy you looking at, at two, you know, you're going to file the 
the uh, FAFSA form for financial aid if you qualify. And probably, I bet you don't qualify for much. But in, in your kid's senior year, you're going to start making decisions in fall of senior year. Well, 16-year-old means you only have a couple of years. That's next year, Terry. <laughs> They're ju- our girls are juniors. So, yes, we're, we're staring it down. It's next year. Okay, so now's the time. I'm, this is a totally other subject than estate planning, but as long as we got here, I don't know how much time we have, but you have to start setting expectations now. You owe this to your children. We've had a generation of children who thought college was owed to them and parents who knew how important it was in terms of how they'd make a living down the road. You know, I'm not, oh, right now, maybe I'd rather have a kid. I wouldn't, but be a plumber, but they're going to be guaranteed a lot more work than the financial whiz kids that are think they should go on and go into debt and get an MBA and work for, for Wall Street. The fact is that debt will bury you, and college debt is extraordinarily expensive, and it's buried a lot of people. So you need to set expectations now. My parents took me, I, it was just long ago, it dates me, but I wanted to go to Radcliffe. I wanted to go to Radcliffe. You know, Harvard was, and Radcliffe were separate. And my parents said, we can't afford to do that. We can't afford the, the airfare in, in those days was expensive and we can't afford it. So on a beautiful fall day of my husband, my senior year, they drove me to Ann Arbor. I walked across the campus and I never applied anywhere else. I applied early decision. I went to the University of Michigan. And it might be that you drive them down to the University of Illinois and other people come from out of state to Illinois, you get a better tuition break. But if your kids think they're going to a very expensive school and you've got a couple of them and you can't afford it, the time to start discussing what's practical is right now. I recently wrote a column about that. Scroll back at terrysavage.com. Terry, before we, um, thanks for that, by the way, because I now have many talks that I need to have. Um, <laughs> Right. Before we leave, um, we wanted to ask about durable power of attorney. What types of situations would that be useful for? Okay, well, if you have a revocable living trust, it itself becomes a power of attorney. Uh, depending, if you live in different states, they might require a separate power of attorney. Here's the estate planning thing. Go again to terrysavage.com, look under financial links, and I have spent a half hour explaining all of these. <laughs> It will, the same amount of money as a will. Please, 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 and was that you that said you did Zoom, uh, legal Zoom? Don't do that. Well, that's oh, better than what I have nothing, Terry. <laughs> well, but worse is the wrong thing because then it really ties your family in knots. There are resources in that web thing that I do on my website. Uh, get an attorney. Go to your bank trust department, ask them to recommend an estate planning attorney, not the person who closed on your house. You would prefer to have a revocable living trust. It should not cost more. And by the way, what should it cost? At your stage of life with a couple of kids, I bet you're talking about $2,500 to $3,500 to do this. Compare that to the cost of the lawyers your sister's going to have to hire to petition the state to get access to the money that was unavailable because he didn't have a will, or I don't presume he didn't have a will. So number one, you want a revocable living trust. An attorney will do that for you. You and your spouse are co-trustees. You then title all your property in the name of the trust. Anything that has a title except your car and your everyday checking account and your credit cards. That means that the co-trustee has the automatic power to act if you cannot. So if someone has a stroke or is in a coma because of a car accident, you can get money out of the out of, you could take a home equity loan if you need to. You could get money out of the accounts that you need to. 
This is really important. In addition, you need a healthcare power of attorney. Who's making decisions if I cannot? That's really important. The living will, the pull the plug document, what you, what extraordinary measures you don't want taken at the end when your life or your death is inevitable. Um, if there are some business reasons for a business power of attorney because you can't title a business inside your own revocable living trust, then you would have a power of attorney it could spring to life when you're incapacitated. I don't think anybody should give away a durable power of attorney during their lifetime. But again, that's something you'll discuss with your estate planning attorney. Start with the personal financial organizer at terrysavage.com. Sit to print it out, fill it out. It'll say, where's the cemetery deed? Do we have a cemetery deed? Is that something you want to be running around doing, uh, you know, in the immediate days after a death? Put all that stuff in there. Did your spouse serve in the military? If you have separation records, where's the location? Because they'll provide a a headstone for you. There are all kinds of um, important documents that you need to know the location. You maybe get a file box, a metal file box, and put them all in there and leave instructions uh in the form of this organizer and a copy of your estate plan. I'll leave it where I started. This is not so difficult to do. You have to have the self-discipline to say, this is a priority. It's like a diet. You know, oh, I should lose five pounds. I should lose 10 pounds. You could say that and say that forever and it nags at you, but you don't do it. Only this has serious consequences, which sadly, Tracy, you know, and Anne too, you have both learned. If this isn't a warning to you and your family members and others, go back to my original superstition. I think fate favors those who are prepared and that this is something you don't, it's not a question of being older. But by the way, if you have parents who are older, give them the organizer form and say, we don't need to know how much money you have or who's getting what, but fill this out so in an emergency, we know your doctor's name, we know where your brokerage accounts are, we know where your will and estate plan is, just put your attorney's name and number in there. This is a family thing, a multi-generational thing. It's what you owe to the people you love. And that's a savage truth. Thank you, Terry, so much. I I can't, You, ha- I agree with everything you said. It's about being intentional. Um, I take... I, I've learned to not take things for granted anymore. After the last year, there's been a lot of things that have happened in my family. And um, it really puts it, it in focus and front and center. And um, the day-to-day happens. There's all these permission forms on my desk for this field trip or that. And it's like there's so much information that you're trying to stay afloat in the house on a day-to-day level when you have kids in the house that you really do have to be very intentional with your financial plan and your estate planning and um, and set the time, like you said, like a diet. You have to be a, in, very intentional and not take it for granted. So thank you so much for joining us today. And again, your website is terrysavage.com. I've been on it a bunch of times in the last month. Um, so Thank you both for having me. I, I love you gals. And, and I hope that in this experience, you set um, an example and an inspiration for those who haven't really figured out this could be a problem. Thank you so much, Terry. So apparently beyond love and marriage, we also need to have the money talks. Many families operate under a divide and conquer mentality, like I've talked about, me included. My husband and I take on certain roles and he handles this area and I handle this area. And But really, the discussion really 
can't just be an information monopoly where he the right hand basically the right hand needs to know what the left is doing right Anne? yeah it's the same with us and losing jim or put everything into sharp focus from you know saying i love you every time i see someone i love to um gently asking if clark needs to eat that whole pizza um (laughs) uh, to sitting down and you know putting our plans in print this one was very personal for both Anne and I, so uh, I'm going to apologize right now that it it was definitely a difficult podcast, not only because it's heavy stuff, you know, personally for us, but also it's totally outside my wheelhouse of understanding all this stuff. It's um, It makes it difficult, but uh, you know, Anne, I know one way our listeners can plan for the future. Okay, Tracy, now how are you going to turn this into a plug? <laughs> They can tell their friends and family about this podcast so they can, you know, be financially healthy and have their estate plan in place so that when the unpredictable happens, that they don't, they can just focus on healing and the grief and all the other things that happen in a, in a house when there's loss and not have, and just kind of have a, a, a footprint for what needs to get done. Absolutely. And I think you mean blueprint. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, Anne. I love you, Tracy. <laughs> uh, and we love our listeners. We'd love you to rate us or leave us a review on iTunes. And, you know, we want your feedback. Check us out on Facebook or Instagram and share our posts if you like them. Remember, you can reach us via email at allparentlypodcast at gmail.com. This is a WGN Plus podcast edited with help from our very own Ben Anderson. I'm Ann Johnsos. And I'm Tracy Weiner. Thanks for listening to Apparently. Apparently.